Hi, I'm Chris Sprouse, Speaker of the Florida House and former prosecutor. From policy briefs to white papers, court cases to brutal police records, no matter my role, reading has been a central part of my mission to defend American values. But this isn't just my job. Reading books is a personal passion, and getting to know the authors behind the ideas on the page is one of my favorite pastimes. The Red, White, and Blue podcast is now in session. Welcome back to the podcast, listeners. Today, we're talking with Dr. Warren Farrell about his book, The Boy Crisis, a critical analysis of the issue of how and why our sons are falling behind in education, are committing suicide at alarming rates, and are less involved in their families than ever before. In the book, he offers expert analysis of the issue, as well as the prescription for helping our sons and our society in the process. I came across this book a couple of years ago when I was looking into the fatherlessness crisis and how it was impacting our families in America, and I came across the boy crisis. And what really struck me about Dr. Farrell's work is how he outlines the case in detail using data and information and world-class studies about the fatherlessness crisis, how it is impacting our boys throughout the country, and what we as community organizations and lawmakers can do about it. Dr. Farrell is the author of seven books, serves as an expert witness on the importance of fathers, and has been a guest of over 1,000 television shows. He's currently the chairman of the coalition to create a White House Council on Men and Boys, and has been called the father of the men's movement. Recently, I was able to sit down with Dr. Farrell to talk in depth about the boy crisis in America and what we can do about it. Join me now for my conversation with Dr. Warren Farrell. Dr. Farrell, thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure. I'm looking real forward to it. You know, there's uh, you turn on the news and there's all kinds of crisis being talked about. There's the, the crisis in the Ukraine. People talk about environmental crisis, uh, the crisis of inflation. Uh, you wrote a book about a different kind of crisis, uh, the boy crisis. Tell us about why you why you wrote about that and why you thought the topic deserved so much more attention than it was getting. Well, I was speaking around the world on women's issues. My background was I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City. And uh, a number of teachers, well, I remember one in Japan coming up to me and saying, you know, I have more problems with the boys in my class than I do with the girls in my class. And so as I started, that started getting on my radar as I heard that a number of times. And then I saw that um, in all 56 of the largest developed nations, boys were falling behind girls on every single academic subject, but especially in reading and writing and reading and writing are the single biggest predictors of success or failure. And so that really started getting me interested. And so I submitted a proposal for a book to be called The Boy Crisis to my publisher. And I had 10 causes that I was going to analyze and research. And I do my research extremely meticulously, but and as I research every cause, um, I realized that most of them were not really causes. The, the main cause was father absence uh, or a minimally involved father. So for example, when there was a, uh, when a father was not involved and a boy was brought up in a, a, a home where the father was not involved, and then he went to a school where there were very few uh, male role models in elementary school, he was much more inclined to be uh, vulnerable to a drug dealer or a, a gang saying, yeah, listen, we'll, we'll provide the family substitute for you. We'll give you a reputation. We'll give you a strong father figure. And as I researched that more carefully, I saw that this went all the way back to Hitler Youth. Hitler Youth um, and their recruits did exactly the same thing. Give me boys without fathers. 
And it was like everywhere I turned, I saw that there was so that, that the, the power of fatherhood was much, much greater than I thought it was and that there was really a fatherhood crisis. And so my, my then, I then began to turn to the, the um, issue of um, why, what do fathers do that is so different from what mothers do? Don't mothers and fathers both parent? And I saw, yes, they both parented, but they parent very differently, what I came to call dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting. And that difference between dad and mom-style parenting was especially different um, in the parenting of sons. Uh, fathers are far more likely to roughhouse with sons, tease sons, um, boundary enforce with sons, whereas the girl can maybe sometimes manipulate the father a little bit more effectively than the uh, than, than the um, um, than the boy can. Um, and so I started to ask myself, you know, what was the difference and what was the impact, and started to see that um, you know, that that boys around the world. Uh, we're all having problems with being depressed and being addicted to video games and being suicidal. And I saw that boys and girls at the age of nine rarely commit suicide, but at the age between the ages of 10 and 14, the boys commit suicide twice as often as girls. And then between the ages of 15 and 19, they commit suicide four times as often as girls. And between the ages of 20 and 24, almost five times as often as girls. And then I saw that the, that the single biggest link to suicide um, was having a minimal or a minimally involved father or a father that was not at all involved, an absent father. Do you feel, I mean, I know that you share, I mean, especially that first half of the book, uh, Dr. Farrell, and I, I read it a couple of years ago, and we'll talk about it throughout the course of this podcast, but there are a number of different things in your, your book that we've now used and employed here in Florida to really help with the fatherhood crisis, the boy crisis, whether it's in K-12 student achievement where boys are falling behind, like you said, or just absent fathers. But you have this, the first half of the book, it's very thorough about going through the studies and documenting the items that you said about whether it's in suicide or drug abuse or uh, incarceration you know, all of these different ailments that affect in particular boys who, who don't have fathers is, you know, you've seen the track and you also talk in the book about how there's been this rise in fatherlessness and there's this corresponding uptick in lack of K-12 student achievement and all these other things. Is, is that something that you've looked around the world to see? Is this a similar phenomenon, you know, psychologically for boys? Are we seeing a, a rise in fatherlessness in other parts of the world? Or is this something that you think is unique to the United States? It's more in the United States than it is in any other country except for England. Um, but it is, it is a force, a very strong force globally. So in all, when I was mentioning a few minutes ago that in all 56 of the largest developed nations, boys were falling behind girls in, all, in, in every single subject. What was, what was interesting was the word developed. In nations that, are, have, that have a middle and upper middle class, where there's a fair amount of um, mastery of survival, those nations start being less um, focused on the importance of family and the importance of marriage. Uh, so they allow divorces to happen much more frequently. And so it's among divorced families where there's usually a minimal amount of father involvement or there's a, a court battle and the mother wants to have primary custody and she wants to go off to another state with a new boyfriend and start, start a new life without regard for um, the, the, the biological father. And from my perspective, I thought that was perfectly fine. I was a stepdad myself, and but then I, and I, um, I started looking into it. 
And I found that one of the biggest contributions I made in the process of writing The Boy Crisis was sending the first draft of it uh, to my wife's uh, former husband. And that was so motivated him, he moved back closer from 500 miles away to working out a situation where he could actually live in the house where the children were. And so wow. that was... Wow. Um, and that's how powerful, um, you know, he, he began to understand that it was. And, um, and, and this is all, you know, was a surprise to me. I knew that there was, uh, the more I read, the more I realized that there was a fatherhood crisis. But in the developed nations, uh, there was not only more permission for divorce, but there was also, which led to a minimal amount of fathers. There was also more permission for a mom to raise the children without being married. I want to unpack a couple of things that you mentioned. You know, you talk in the book about, um, you know, hey, the, the best success, you know, across all of these different metrics you're looking at, you know, uh, K-12 achievement, college graduation, you know, mental health, substance abuse, is an individual who is raised by both parents, you know, both has a mom and a dad, you know, in their life. I, I think what's interesting to me is you then talk about how the next best thing is to spend as much as 50%. Uh, with each parent, that that's relevant to us. Certainly, in the legislature, we we just passed a bill that included sort of a default in child custody. That when both parents walk into the courtroom, the kind of the default assumption is that each parent would get fifty percent custody, unless there's facts that come out during the course of that 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 warrant it to be you know otherwise. So, my question to you is: you know, you hear a lot of people who comment on the idea of you know spending fifty percent of time with each parent as no, that's too disruptive. For the child, um, that's not that's not good for them because they might be going back and forth between homes and things like that 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 disrupts their schedule. That they're sort of vulnerable to their schedule. You you make the opposite argument. No, that they're vulnerable is not spending fifty percent of their time with each parent and for boys particularly the dad. So you know that's an interesting um, viewpoint. I think played a significant role on what we did this this year in the legislature. So talk to us a little bit more about sort of those arguments, which I'm sure you've heard about it being disruptive for kids versus the benefit of encouraging uh, custody to be split between parents so that boys in particular are spending, you know, 50% of the time with their mom, but also hopefully 50% of their time with their dad. When I did my examination of this uh, in the research for the boy crisis, one of the things that I looked at was exactly this issue. And for me, logically, it seemed to be that, you know, oh, maybe the kids could be disrupted and unstabilized by, you know, going back and forth from home to home. I found that just wasn't true. I found that there were four, what I call four must do's. Um, if you want your children, if you're having a divorce and you want your children to have almost as good a chance um, as do, doing well as they would in an intact family, there are four must do's. The most important of those must do's by quite a long shot is that the children have about an equal amount of time with their father and with their mother. The second most important is that the mom and dad do not live more than about 20 minutes drive time for, from each other. Because when they do, um, the children often resent going to the other parent's home because they're gonna miss the, the, the birthday party of their best friend or their soccer practice. And therefore they can't become good on the soccer team and they become disappointed in their dream of playing soccer because they don't practice enough and they don't have the, the, the friendships and the, uh, the instruction of the coach um, that, that, that children benefit from. Sports is a very important contributor to children's development. And that's just one of the many things and, and social um, networking and connection is even more important for boys and for girls for very um, counterintuitive reasons. Third is that there's no bad mouthing 
that the children can detect from mom to dad or dad to mom. And when I say that the children can detect, I'm not just talking about words. I'm talking about the child says, oh, I had a great time at dad's house last night. And the mother or vice versa, the father sort of doesn't respond, has a sort of like, you don't precede that with asking your dad or your mom a favor um, because you sense that they've tuned out. And so they're giving you vibes that say, don't talk positively about the other parent. That's a form of bad mouthing as well. And the fourth must do, and this is the most recent research, is that the parents of the children have um, consistent couples communication or relationship counseling. The word consistent is very important. Uh, when the relationship counseling is only emergency-based, in emergencies, there's a, usually a time shortage, and the father and the mother both try to convince the counselor that they're right and the other one is wrong. Um, but in consistent couples counseling, the father and the mother both have a chance to understand the best intent of the other parent. And father and mother parenting is so different um, so uh, that, that it's so easy to assume that the other parent is being in the case of the father, often thinks that the mother is being overprotective in the case of the mother. Uh, the, father is off, the, the mother often feels that the father is letting the child go to the playground without the father there to watch the child at the playground. The child gets into a fight. The father's been watching the um, playoffs and the mother, the mother assumes that the father cares more about the playoffs than the child when in fact the father cares about the, ch the, the child being able to navigate what's happening at the playground. And if something happens that's negative, being able to talk that through with the child and identify the red flags. But dads don't explain this to moms and moms can't hear what dads don't say. Um, so it's so important that there be that couples counseling or that relationship counseling where the dad and mom can understand the, the, the positive value of the other sex's parenting style and do what I, I have come to call in the Boy Crisis book, um, have checks and balance parenting where they can hear each other. So the most important single thing is that people that learn how to hear the criticisms that the other parent has without becoming defensive um, so that they, they have an, uh, so that there's a safe valve for every perspective to be heard and then negotiated in a, in a positive type of way. I, I think uh, it's interesting when you talk about you know, both parents, right? The mom and the dad, and now they navigate different situations, whether it's the playground. You know, you and I have had a conversation about kind of K-12 education and particularly as it relates to boys and, and, and particularly in elementary school. You know, when, when kids are young, we've done a lot of work in the legislature on literacy and our focus has been pre-K through three because we know that the data tells us, you know, that's the time the kid is gonna learn to read and it's most impressionable to learn to read, but also those are the child's formative years. And, and you talk about, about this in the boy crisis about this K-12 student achievement gap where kids are falling behind. The boys aren't reading on grade level to the same extent that girls are. But I think what's most interesting about that as it relates back to the two sexes is you talk about in K through five education, boys might be different. And we have, well, my kids have an amazing teacher, um, a female teacher. And, and but you know we, we also find that in K through five, there's not a lot of male teachers um, in elementary school for, for whatever reason. And you sort of kind of point in the book that, there, you need to employ different sort of techniques sometimes to reach a boy 
uh, who's that age versus a girl. So talk to us a little bit about that. What, what are the differences and why do they matter as far as expressing academic content to a boy versus a girl? Yes, boys definitely do better when they are physically involved in before they are mentally involved. Um, and so um, it's so some of the schools like Urban Dove in New York uh, that do really well with um, both girl children and boy children, uh, make sure that there's physical activity um, with, with the children. And then the coaches of the physical activity in the morning uh, don't just do new groups of physical activity during the day. They actually go around to the classrooms and check to see if the boy in particular is having problems with um, concentration and focus. And, um, and, they, and they get the boy to sort of think of the, uh, that algebra problem as the opponent, um, as they would in a sport. And let's, let's beat that opponent. Fight, fight the math problem. Fight the math problem. You can do it. You can conquer it. You can overcome. Yeah. You know that type of thing. And boys buy that. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. My, my wife does that to me. You know, you know fights me. You know, go, go fight the garbage. Go take it out to the yeah, get to the curb. The yeah. Overcome the resistance of that garbage. <laughs> right. um, so the and 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 that really works for boys. And the um, and and it's also more important for boys to have projects to do. Um, you, when I um, practiced to become, when I was teaching for a bit in high school, um, before I went on to do my PhD, I, I, um, I just naturally got everything done in sort of groups. I was teaching political science. And so I was, I would have, you know, half the group, the, the kids in the class be Republicans, half be Democrats. And I'd have them go through all these, um, uh, these machinations of arguing with each other and me meeting in committees and so on, the type of thing you do in the Florida legislature. And the, and the kids loved it. The kids loved it. But the supervising teacher, when I was practicing teaching this, said, this is interesting. Four or five of the kids who are in the class um, are doing much better than they did. These were slouch kids. I didn't put it together at the time, but as I studied more about the boy crisis, I realized that all five of those kids were boys. They were involved. They were and they were, you know, going home and doing things. The mothers were, fathers were coming in during parents' nights and saying, "My God, how did this happen?" And it happened because the boys had a project to do. They had something to that were was physical. They did at home. They could plan. They could get together and um, and and um, sort of conspire uh, to to beat the other side. <laughs> this works I, my, for us guys. <laughs> yeah, my two boys are usually conspiring against us somehow, whispering to each other and and plotting and planning. But to your point, it's 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 very sort of boy oriented and, and they kind of reach out and touch and, and, uh, and be able to do those sort of things. My kids like science experiments, I think, because they actually think, see the thing blow up and explode or, or, you know, the volcano erupts and right before their eyes, which is, it's just different. Yes. Yes. And it, and it's, and by the way, it works for girls as well. Um, but um, girls um, and, and it helps girls begin to sort of like explore the real world. So for example, uh, when you, one of the male female differences is when, people are thinking about going into business, a girl is far more likely to en enroll in an MBA program. A boy is more, a young man is more likely to um, go out and start his own business. Well, I'm not advocating for either one. They both have advantages and disadvantages. Um, but, you know, boys need to learn to study more and girls need to learn to just go out and do to a greater degree. And that, that balance is really helpful to both. You know, um, we talked about the, the custody issue 50 50 and, and you know of course that presumes that you have 
the ability to have the presence of, you know, two parents in your life. And as you know, you talk about, of course, in the book, not every child has that. And usually uh, because we always get, there's always some sensitivity, like, Hey, you're talking about dads and not about moms. The reality is, which is of course, well-documented in your book and other places that usually the missing parent statistically is going to be the father is usually the person who's absent, not the mother, you know, in, in that regard, uh, as far as it goes to fatherlessness, and, and how, um, you know, how that impacts sort of the psyche of, of children, particularly boys. You know, we passed a, a bill this legislative session dealing with fatherlessness, you know, really reaching out. We put 75 plus million dollars into community organizations who are lifting up fathers, who are trying to engage them in the lives of their kids to try to get ahead. I think, I guess, is the way to look at this, to get ahead of some of the challenges that you outline in the book. And after I read your book, you know, I really felt like this is sort of the fight. But I, what I, one thing I noticed, you know, Dr. Farrell, in, in talking about it is, you know, it's, it's difficult for some people, I think, to talk about fatherlessness, again, because you get the immediate criticism, like, why are you talking about dads and, and not about moms or what have you? And I, what I really think is interesting from your vantage point, when I talked about your book before I ever met you or talked to you, I said, let me tell you about this guy who wrote this book, The Boy Crisis. And he was the former you know, board member for the National Organization of Women. And I say that because it immediately, I think, makes somebody stop and think, well, you know, what's a guy who was on the board of the National Organization for Women doing writing a book about boys? And I think it's a really interesting paradigm as you have kind of become the architect of, of this book and the data and the research behind it that make you kind of a unique messenger on that front. So, so from a messaging standpoint, the data seems to be well-proven. The studies are thorough that an absent father impacts um, children, particularly boys in a negative way. How have you sort of encountered the struggle of messaging that to the public to find policymakers and lawmakers and community organizations who are then willing to lean in and tackle the fatherlessness crisis? It's been very hard because we've been in an era where we, we basically believe that, you know, that men have been in power and they've been in control and women haven't. So we really don't want to hear anything about men having problems because we say, well, they're the great majority of legislators, they can make the rules. If anything you know, bothers them, they can change that. Um, but that completely misses the understanding that, um, and so we skip over the importance of fathers, but, we, um, but, but the importance of fathers is so crucial. So I began to, when I was doing the research on the boy crisis, I began to keep track of the different ways where we had scientific evidence that children did much better with uh, when they had about an equal amount of father time um, as, as mother time. And, um, I, and I ended up with more than 70 different areas, uh, which is a lot too much, too much to, to articulate here. Um, but it was in every crucial area from dropping out of school to a much less likelihood to, to be addicted to video games, to be addicted to drugs, to be addicted to um, alcohol, um, to, to die from opioid addiction, to be a, a being obese. Uh, you name the, the parental nightmare and a child is much less likely to have it when there's an equal amount of father involvement, much more likely to have it uh, than the other way around. One of the things that I felt has been most helpful in messaging this um, to, to moms is to, is, to, is to think of the word overwhelm. I don't know of a single, single mom who, um, who doesn't use the word overwhelm, particularly if she is also a working single mom. Uh, she feels oftentimes that her intelligence and um, effectiveness at work is not what it could be. And she feels guilty about the fact that she's not spending enough time and being effective enough with her children. 
And what do we need to solve the overwhelmed feeling of moms? We need to be saying, dads, we need you. Understand the power of the word need to a man. Every generation has had its war. When in every generation's war, we said to men, we need you to be willing to die to fight off the enemy. And when you come back, we need you in the old days to be the sole breadwinner. So men were willing to die when they were told Uncle Sam needs you. Um, when we say today that we need men not so much to kill and be killed, but to love and be loved, if we let men know that their abilities to love, to care, to nurture, their different style of parenting increases children's IQ, self-confidence, a likelihood of being um, able to accomplish things, being, um, being upbeat, being social, all the things we don't associate with masculinity. Uh, when we, but, but the impact on children are all those things I just mentioned. When we say, dads, we need you to play this role. We need you to make sure that moms are not overwhelmed. We need you to help the children and you need this sense of purpose. You no longer have the old purpose of being the sole breadwinner or in most cases having to die in war. So we are experiencing a purpose void and we have to create for father's sake, new senses of purpose and for mother's sake, not to have all the burdens uh, on her and have her feel guilty and overwhelmed. Uh, we need to have uh, fathers and mothers working together. We're all in the same family boat. When only one sex wins, everyone loses. I don't know if you remember this. It makes me think when you're talking to Dr. Farrell about, you know, hey, we need to tell dads, hey, we need you. You know, this is, we need you. We need you to come fight for your kids. We need you to be an active part of their lives. You matter. I, it reminds me of the, the Tom Selleck commercial. I don't know if you remember this in like the early nineties. And it was Tom Selleck, of course, you know, everybody looks at Tom Selleck. He's like, you know, he's the, he's the man's man. And the, the sort of tagline of the commercial was, it takes a man to be a dad. And it's like a, it's like a video of this guy dancing with his daughter and they're dancing around. He said, it takes a man to be a dad. And I, I think that messaging is important. You know, there's a lot of community organizations who I think have adopted some of that messaging. There's a, an organization in Florida called man up and go. And it's a, it's a, it's an organization designed to tackle fatherlessness. They're very active in foster care and adoption. Um, and the message to the dads is, Hey, man up, and help us raise either your child or someone else's child who doesn't have a dad or doesn't have parents. Uh, there's an organization that you might be familiar with called All Pro Dads, which was founded by uh, Mark Merrill and Coach Tony Junji, uh, formerly of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. But it's All Pro Dads, right? So it's a sports metaphor of, hey, be a pro, be a dad. And I think that those organizations are doing just what you're talking about, which is engaging fathers in a positive way and saying, hey, we need you. What we did in the, the bill this year, in the fatherlessness package is reach out to those kinds of organizations and invest in them so that they can use sort of their community arm to kind of lift up dads. And uh, one thing, uh, Dr. Farrell, that I kind of thought about because we, when we first got into the K-12 issue, we created a council sort of like you suggested in the book and have people working about, you know, techniques to raise K-12 student achievement for boys. But on the fatherlessness, it, you know, there's sort of like this, this problem is so big how do you begin 
to kind of bite a piece off where you can make an impact. And it did remind me of something you said earlier about people who look for, for a dad in, in, in different places. I was a gang and homicide prosecutor. A lot of the gang members I prosecuted, you know, were fatherless boys looking for a sense of belonging. So it occurred to me, if we can lift up these organizations, the desire on behalf of those, those children, particularly the boys, never goes away to be part of something or to have a male role model. And there's a way in which we can, we can make that happen. I mean, do you think that's overly ambitious or do you believe that, you know, that government can play a role in, in helping empower these organizations to tackle this crisis? Government can play an enormous role and save an enormous amount of money. You want, you want to make government smaller, you get dad involved. Because you think about the, the trillions of dollars nationwide that we spend cleaning up crime, cleaning up homelessness, cleaning up um, building prisons. We spend billions of dollars nationwide over the course of a year, about a trillion dollars, cleaning up the mess that comes from what? One is a lack of father involvement that leads to almost a, a very high percentage of the mass shooters, are, um, or especially the school shooters, are males with minimal or no father involvement. Uh, the ISIS recruits, males and females, 90 to 10, 90% uh, males, 10% females, with minimal or no father involvement. Think of the amount of money we spent on homeland security, on, uh, on the abridgment of freedoms in order to be able to, um, to protect ourselves. Um, that's all uh, that the single best return on investment we have is the involvement of fathers. It's all about being present at the end of the day, you know, for, yeah. the, for the dads. And, you know, Dr. Farrell, when I, uh, I shared this with you as well, but, you know, we got to stand on the steps of the Capitol uh, a month and a half ago, Republicans, Democrats, House members, senators, um, you know, men and women, both chambers, and got to announce our fatherhood bill, uh, go into the Capitol. I had my two boys with me and we passed, as far as I know, the largest bill in the country to tackle the fatherlessness epidemic, um, whether that's, you know, a present father and helping them make sure they're present in their homes and have the tools, helping a child who doesn't have a dad have a male role model to look up to um, in their community and make sure that we're doing what we can in K-12 education to, to lift kids up. And I guess what I want to leave you with is you played a significant role in all of those things um, by writing your book. Um, I read it. I gave it to other members, um, including the chairman of our committee, Thad Altman, who kind of led the effort um, to develop this bill with us. So um, I, I thank you for, uh, for writing about it, having the courage uh, to talk about it as, as much as you have and to do the hard work of, of really laying out the case for us on why it is probably one of the most important things of our generation is to tackle fatherlessness um, for, for all children, but particularly um, our boys who are in crisis. So thank you for that. Thank you. But, and I also want to add that as an author, the boy crisis on the shelf does not interest me nearly as much as what you've done with it. You and, um, and the Florida legislators of both parties have, um, I said to you off, off on camera, that if you know if, if you never participated in the legislature again, in any form or capacity, you will have helped thousands and thousands of boys who will benefit from the from what this program will create. And I really acknowledge the fact that that Florida got together both parties to make this is this is one of the most bipartisan issues that will save the save the most money possible um, to make government smaller and to make our families more effective. So you've done an enormous amount with that book that, that has made me 
much more proud to have written it than I would have been um, without um, your effort. Well, well, thank you for that. We were we were happy to do it, and thank you for joining uh, joining me today and chat with us about your book, The Boy Crisis. Doctor Farrell, it was a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you.